rumor has it that I live, Doug Washburn, I live at 115 Longhorn Drive. Now, if you were going to prove that, what would you need to do to prove it? So I think there's several things. First, you could set up surveillance. You could, you could park down the street, and you could, you could watch to see if I ever go to 115 Longhorn. Because if that's my house, you would think that I would spend some time there, right? Probably a lot of time there. You could, um, not legally, but you could check my mailbox to see if there's any mail in my mailbox that, that is addressed to Doug Washington. By the way, I didn't say hi to, to Michael and Sherry. Y'all be sure and tell them hi. Glad to have them. I think we get y'all next week, too. No, no, just, just one week. So you better say hi today. I'm um, glad that they're here. Um, you can check my mail, not legally, but, if, they, but if, if I live there, there should be mail coming to me, addressed to me. There should be mail going out that is addressed from me to someone else, right? If, if I put the little flag up, we don't have a flag. But if we had a flag on ours, you could put that up and the mail person would come and take that, right? You could, um, you could dust for fingerprints. There should be fingerprints all over my shed, over my doorknobs. If you were to go into my house and dust for fingerprints, there should be Doug Washburn fingerprints everywhere, right? Does this make sense to you? You could also talk to my neighbors. Our neighbors across the street, Max and, and Doris Tubb, have watched our kids. They've been there longer than we have. We moved in 1995, and they have been there. I don't even know how long Max and Doris have been there, but they watched our kids grow up. Their children are the same age that Janie and I are, and so they kind of adopted us, kind of adopted our kids, and they bought Christmas gifts for our kids all through the years, watched our kids grow up. Now they love watching Waylon. When Waylon comes, he sees Max and Doris come out. He's ready to run across the street to see Max and Doris because these are just cool friends of ours for years. And if you were to go to Max and Doris and say to them, hey, does Doug Washburn live at that house? They're going to say yes. You could talk to my other neighbors that have been there for a while. They're going to say yes. Now, the reason I say this is if you want to prove something, you need evidence, right? right? Well, is there any evidence to prove that this Christ story is true? We're going to look at that today. What evidence do we have that the Bible is true? If you believe just the first four words of the first verse of the first book of the Bible, you're not going to have any trouble believing any of the rest of the Bible. Here's what that, that first verse says, Genesis 1.1. <clears throat> in the beginning, God, you believe that? Everything else in Scripture is possible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe those four words, then you're not going to have any trouble believing that God sometimes um, performs miracles. And by the way, if you look at the Bible, miracles are not everywhere. They're very few and far between. Because sometimes God comes and he intervenes in human history in miraculous ways. We tend to remember that. We don't tend to remember all the times that he doesn't intervene in miraculous ways. But if he can create everything, then it means that he can interrupt everything when he wants to. God first showed his power through, through creation. So you got um, earth, sky, stars, planets, plants, animals, people. But, but I just started thinking about God's creativity. And did you know, just with beetles, here's the American beetle. That, that is actually called the American beetle. There's a Japanese beetle. There's probably a Mexican beetle. Because there are over 300,000 species of beetles. And I was scratching my head going, couldn't we have just gotten by with a couple of thousand species of beetles? Why do we need 300,000 over that? God started creating, and he got so involved in creation that he creates this masterpiece. And so I just looked up a, a nature picture, and here's, here's one I came up with. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that spectacular? How many of you want to go to there right now? I do. Yes, yes. I love going to the mountains. I love going to the lakes. I love going to the ocean. I like water. I like the majesty of God's creation. And every time I go to the mountains, every time I'm sitting on a lake, every time I'm at the ocean, I think about what an incredible God we serve, that he spoke the words and stuff like this was created. Now, 
if you, if you see God's masterpiece, it, it, it just seems to me that you would give credit to a master designer. If there's design in, in nature, if there's design in, in our human bodies, it seems that someone designed that, right? Well, the Bible says that he did. And he says that, that we can know who God is, or at least a couple of things about him, just by observing nature. Here's what it says in Romans 1, 19 and 20. 1, 19. They, they know the truth about God, talking about people, because he has made it obvious to them for who... For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse. No excuse for not knowing God. Because all you have to do is look at this magnificent creation, this magnificent design, and say there must be a creator, capital C. There must be a designer, a capital D. Do you know that, that professors now can be fired? I've read several stories where professors have been fired in, in universities for mentioning intelligent design. They said, our world is so intelligently designed that there must be a, a designer. And there have, been, there have been professors fired for daring to say, we looked at nature and believe there is a God. It's kind of crazy to me. Because think about this. If you see a beautiful painting, I just came up with this one. Now, I know some of you can paint. I can't paint. So when I see something like this, I go, wow, that is really good. Now, is your first thought when you see this that over billions and billions of years, the conditions had to be just right for the paints to just magically form themselves and then somehow to combine to do this? Or maybe it was the Beatles. You know, there's 300,000 of them. Maybe they walked through some colored dirt and they got on the, the, this, this canvas when they came home for their family reunion and this came out. Is that what you think? Did the Beatles do it? Not the band. Did they do this? No, you see a painting, what do you think? There's a painter. You see a good painting, and you think, there's a good painter. Is this logical to you? What about when you see some incredible structure, like the pyramids of Egypt, or even the Empire State Building? Is your first thought, billions and billions of years, raindrops formed with clay, and through earthquakes and maybe hurricane force winds they formed into little bitty bricks and then with the help of a few dozen maybe a couple hundred tornadoes they placed themselves they arranged themselves like the pyramids or like the empire state building anybody think that is that your first thought when you see the pyramids you think man someone designed that there's an architect someone built it when you see the Empire State Building, you think that there is a builder. So when you see a great painting, you think there must have been a painter. You see a building, you think there's some kind of builder. And when you see something like our world that is so incredibly designed, it's only logical to me that you should think that there is a designer behind that. I marvel at the creation that we live in. But there are people who are skeptics. Skeptics like this man. Once there was a man who dared God to speak. Burn the bush like you did for Moses, God, and I'll follow you. Knock down a wall like you did for Jericho, like you did at Jericho for Joshua, God, and I will fight for you. Make the waves stand still like you did for your disciples on the Sea of Galilee, God, and I will listen. Side note. If you've read the Bible, how many times are there burning bushes in the Bible? How many stories of the burning bush? One. If you've read the, the history of Israel when they went into the promised land, how many cities of Jericho, like Jericho, did the walls fall down? One. Next one's a trick question. 
If you've read the New Testament when Jesus was hanging out with his disciples, how many times did he calm the Sea of Galilee? Two. Yeah, you're like, two. First time he's asleep in the boat. Remember, they wake him up. Oh, we're going to drown. Don't you care? And he says, peace be still. And they say, ooh, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Second time he sent them on ahead. They were in a storm and he comes walking across on the waves. I wish I could have seen that. Remember, that's the time when Peter's like, if that really is you, Lord, command me to come out. And he commands him to come out. When Jesus gets in the boat, he, he says, peace be still. So this guy, this skeptic said, do something that you've only done once in history, and then I'll believe. Or do something you've only done twice in history, and then I'll listen, then I'll follow you, God. So this man sat by a bush near a wall close to the sea and waited for God to speak. God heard the man, so God answered. He sent fire not for a bush, but for a church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we know in the book of Acts that, that when the Holy Spirit came, it says that, that tongues as of fire came down and ignited this global movement that has spread beyond. You remember the Roman Empire? It's no longer. All you see is, is ruins of the Roman Empire, but the church is still going strong and expanding in the world. Jesus said, I'm going to send fire for my church. He brought down a wall, not of brick, but of sin that separated God from humans. See, Jesus came to, to address our greatest need, which was sin, death, and the grave. And he wiped out the wall that separated us from God. We talked about that last week when he adopts you, and you get to call him Daddy, God. He calmed the storm, but not of the sea, the storm in people's souls. And then God waited for the man to respond, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. But because the man was looking at bushes, not hearts, bricks and not lives, seas and not souls, he decided that God had done nothing. Finally, he looked to God and he asked, have you lost your power? And God looked back and he said, have you lost your sight? I think a lot of us have lost our sight about what the baby birth of Jesus means. I think we're looking for other things, and I think a lot of people are going to miss Christmas this year because they're looking at the wrong thing. We spend most of our time looking for things, right? We look for um, the perfect gift. We look for bargains. We look for the perfect decoration. We look for even the perfect parking spot. I was in Tyler this past Friday. Don't go to Tyler. Dude, I sat through four lights waiting to turn into left so I could go to Academy. It was not worth it. I don't sit through four lights. I'll not, no, no. We're looking for something, but I think most people are going to miss the birth of the Savior because they're not looking for him. That first Christmas, people missed him too. The politicians were doing whatever it is politicians do. I'm not sure. But because they were looking at that, they missed him. The business people were looking to make more money. Because they were looking to make more money, they missed Jesus. The religious leaders, they missed him. The innkeeper missed him. The people the first Christmas 2,000 years ago missed the arrival of the king not because they were evil or mean, although some of them are, were evil and mean. They missed him because they simply weren't looking for him. And I think that some of you are going to miss the birth of the Savior this year, not because you're evil or mean, and some of you might be evil or mean, but you're going to miss. Some of y'all are giggling. That was an evil or mean giggle, wasn't it? You're going to miss the birth of the Savior this year because you're not looking for it. And see, there's always skeptics. Skeptics are like, angels talking to shepherds, wise men following a star. Can you even follow a star? How wise are you if you're trying to follow a star and telling other people that you're following a star? How wise is that? Right? We talk about the wise men. And then they say a virgin birth, if you go all the way back to the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, you don't have a problem with this. 
But then people say, oh, this virgin birth thing. Weren't there, weren't there things that happened in the sky when Julius Caesar was born or maybe Caesar Augustus? Here's the problem with those stories. Those stories about Caesar Augustus and, and Julius Caesar, they didn't appear until long after those guys were dead, long after all the eyewitnesses of those guys' life and birth and death were, were gone, and long after people realized that Julius Caesar was a pretty important guy in history and Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor, long after hundreds Hundreds of years after they started making up things about those guys, the story about Jesus, his, the miracles surrounding his birth, were written 700 years before his birth. See, people try to rewrite history to make those other guys look good. God didn't rewrite history. God pre-wrote history. 700 years before it was foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin and in a town called Bethlehem. Now, We're going to look at the book of Luke. We're looking at Luke's story today. And Luke was written in the first century by a guy named Luke because they just weren't very creative. He wrote two books of the Bible, Luke and Acts. And some people say that's the Acts of the Apostles. I don't believe that. I believe it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We don't know much about the Holy Spirit until we get to the book of Acts and then God shows you how, um, through through Luke, how the Holy Spirit um, works in people and in everyday life. Tried to get that off, didn't work. Um, So Luke was a doctor and he was not a Jew, which means he was not looking for a Messiah because non-Jews didn't need a Messiah. If you're not looking for a Messiah, you certainly aren't looking for a Messiah who is born of a virgin. And if you go back and look, none of the Jews were looking for a Messiah either. They had had so um, walked away from God that they wouldn't know the Messiah when they saw him. And there were all kinds of false messiahs in that day, messiahs that they wanted somebody to deliver them from Rome. They wanted a political, military messiah. And so if you were from the line of David, you could be the messiah. But none of those guys had virgin birth on their resume. Luke has a friend named Theophilus who believed in Jesus, but he didn't know the details about Jesus. And so Theopolis and Luke lived in the first century. And the cool thing about living in the first century is all the eyewitnesses to Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection were still alive. And if you had questions about any of those things, you went and found them. So that's exactly what Luke did. He goes and finds eyewitnesses and he interviews them. He travels with some of the eyewitnesses and then he writes this stuff down. And the verses we're going to read today are not famous verses. They're not Christmas story verses, but they're incredibly significant if you're looking for the Savior this Christmas. And these verses do not start out once upon a time. They do not start out in a galaxy far, far away. Yes, yeah, I know the new Star Wars came out. Drew saw it. He said it was really good. Doesn't start like that. Notice how these verses start in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. So a lot of people are writing down stuff that actually happened. This is not a make-believe. This is not a myth. It's not a short story contest. Stuff happened and people are writing it down. And look where it happened. He says, among us. Right here, among us. So he's writing in the first century before Jesus was a household name. This was before Santa. And by the way, Santa's based on um, St. Nicholas who was born in AD 280. AD 280. And it wasn't until the 16th century that people started calling him Claus. Or they started making up all of these stories. So thousands of years later is when we got the idea of of Santa Claus. Jesus had all kinds of eyewitnesses in the first century when Luke was writing this down. And it really happened. Verse 2. 
just as, as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses. So he's saying, I talked to the eyewitnesses. We wrote this stuff down. And servants of the word. That means he was, these were the preachers, the ones that, God, that Jesus himself had taught. And he said, go teach everyone else what I've taught you. They're servants of the word. Came from eyewitnesses, not two, three hundred years later, not even a hundred years later. Luke was written sometime between A.D. 59 and 70. The reason we believe it was before 70 A.D. is because that's when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. And for anybody who was alive at that time, not to include that in this letter means that it was written before that letter. Luke and Acts were both written, we believe, before the temple was destroyed. Luke knew and traveled with Paul, and he probably knew all of the other apostles and interviewed them. And look what he says in verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, doesn't sound like once upon a time, does it? I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was, was a, a Gentile as well. He was not Jewish. Now, does a good investigator start when, let's say that, that we have a wreck right out here on 155. Praise God, that's never happened while we've been, I don't want it to happen during my lifetime. But when people leave church, let's say somebody has a wreck today. Would an investigator come out and say, red car was hit by brown car, the end, wrap it up and go? Is that what a good investigator does? No, a good investigator tries to figure out everything that happened that led up to the accident. What Luke does is he goes back to the beginning and he studies everything and he writes it down and he tells him why. Here's why I wrote this down, verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The Bible talks a lot about certainty. John, who took care of, of Jesus' mother Mary after Jesus was crucified, he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, um, he who has the Son does, uh, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then he says this, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. It, you can be certain that you have eternal life. You can be certain of the facts that, that Luke looked up. And, and Luke was a doctor. He observed things. The reason God had him write this down is because he was very observant. And lots of people have given Luke a hard time. For many, many years, they said Luke is the most, least reliable book of the Bible until some atheist went with the, with the idea that it was unreliable, that the problem with Luke is, has all of these dates, all of these places. This ruler was here. We went to this city. We went to this village. And people thought they didn't exist until this atheist went with the idea it didn't exist. He was going to disprove the Bible. And then he comes out and he says, Luke is the most accurate book of all the books of history. All the dates, all the places, all the cities, all the villages have been discovered, and it's incredibly in detail. Why did God choose Luke? He was a doctor, and he paid attention to detail, and he is now considered the most accurate book of the New Testament. He carefully investigated so that you could know with certainty what happened. So let me give you a couple of things. Christianity has never promoted blind faith. Blind faith is stupid. Blind faith is there's a cliff, I'm going to run and jump off it. We know that there are questions people have. We also know there's answers. It, here's the second thing. The beginning of Christianity is founded on something that happened in history, not in someone's imagination. It's actually happened. I read this week, there are some people that believe Jesus never bo was born. You have to ignore all kinds of eyewitness testimony, all kinds of facts to believe that. You have to suspend your mind to believe that. Let me give you just a couple of facts about Jesus. Number one, he was born. It's real. Number two, there's all kinds of eyewitnesses. Did you know that, that 
in all the other world religions, there are no eyewitnesses to the founder's vision or encounter with God or encounter with an angel. Muhammad was in a, in a cave by himself. No one else was there when he got his revelation. Joseph Smith, who started the, the Mormon church, he was behind a curtain. No one else saw what he saw. Supposedly these golden plates and the angel Moroni, all of these. No one else is an eyewitness to that. Charles Taz Russell, who started the, the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, he, he just did some things on his own. All of these major founders of world religions, there are nobody else, no one else was an eyewitness to what they saw. But in Jesus' case, there are all kinds of eyewitnesses and, and it was pre-written 700 years before. That's the next thing. Isaiah was written over 700 years before Jesus was born. Here's what he says in, in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There's going to be a virgin 700 years from now who's going to have a son. And, and just in case um, you don't realize it, Bethlehem was this small town. It says in Micah 5, 2, O Bethlehem, even though you're small, the Savior will come from you. Because see, when, when the wise men went to Herod and said, Hey, where's the one that's been born king of the Jews? The Bible says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him because they didn't know about this Jew being born. So he calls in the, the, the scribes, the ones who, who studied the Scripture, and they said, Where will the Messiah come from? And he said, From Bethlehem. And that's why Herod killed all the babies in Bethlehem, trying to kill Jesus. Micah. 700 years before Jesus was born, said the Savior will come from Bethlehem. Now Luke will eventually tell his friend in the book of Luke that, that not only is Jesus the Son of God, he is without a doubt the Savior of the world. And he said, I've written all of these things down, my friend Theophilus, so you can know for sure that it really happened. And this is how his story begins. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The <coughs> Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. 
reading to you from my daddy's Bible. My dad could not read this story without weeping. And I remember there was some time, I, I was a teenager, by the time I was 16 or 17, dad couldn't even get through the story anymore, so he would hand the Bible to one of us boys, and we would read Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own hometown. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made, made known widely to everyone around that the Christ had been born. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And it was told to them. Let's stand together and sing, O Holy Night. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and never pining, till he
shine in your hearts as you leave this place today. You know about the baskets at the back, registration card, giving joy basket, bagel basket, all of those things. Just remember the meaning of Christmas. Hug four people. Tell them you love them. You're dismissed. <laughs>